If you want to go ahead and take your seats, we all get started. I appreciate everybody coming to this class. Um, I know this is the last class of the day. I know the sun is shining and there's a beach nearby. And I know Deb Anton said you could skip all the classes and not feel guilty. So really appreciate everybody coming. Uh, my name is Doug Lambert. This is my wife, Jennifer. And uh, we were actually going to be teaching with Tony and Tasha Williams. Uh, Tasha actually is very sick and um, has been diagnosed with mono, but also has some kind of an intestinal thing going on. Um, so you can uh, remember to pray for her. Uh, so half of what we're, we're sharing today is from Tony and Tasha. So this is, this is Doug and Jennifer Lambert and Tony and Tasha Williams class, even though they're not here. But I really appreciate just the, the, the thoughts they shared. But let's go ahead and open up with a prayer. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity we have to be able to just talk about marriage today. Father, thank you, first of all, for bringing us into a relationship with you. And God, thank you for changing us uh, and then giving us a relationship with our spouse. Uh, Father, we know that you have given us exactly the spouse that we need in order to make it to heaven. And Father, I pray that uh, just today as we talk about uh, our marriages, Father, we will really uh, learn and grow and mature. Father, but most of all, we will really set our hearts on our lives and our marriages, bringing you honor and glory. We do want to pray in a special way for Tasha, God, that uh, Father, you be with her and uh, the doctors can figure out what's going on with her, uh, Father, just in intestinally. And God, just uh, you really take care of her, heal her, make her well. Uh, really watch over both of them. Uh, and God, especially I do want to pray for Shanika Cochran, who has lost her mother, God. And please just provide comfort and strength to her. Uh, we love you for your son and we pray. Amen. Amen. So this song, or this song, this class is actually taken from a song. Now that we've found love, what are we going to do with it? Some of you may be familiar with that. I actually read the lyrics and decided I wouldn't share the lyrics in this class. Amen. But um, it's interesting that we've been chosen to teach this class because we've been married almost 30 years. And as we were thinking back, like, okay, what was the first five years like? Well, we got married in Argentina on the mission field in 1988. In our first five years of marriage, we were in two continents, three countries, five cities, seven houses, had seven different disciples and two children. So we had, uh, we, we had kind of a, I wouldn't recommend that for your first five years of marriage. Amen. But uh, God has blessed us. Uh, uh, both our children are grown now, married to disciples, uh, and uh, we have our first grandchild, a month old. So uh, God has really taken care of us. And I think that's one of the things I want to share with you. Where, wherever you're at, whatever situation you're in, um, it, it's not about having the ideal church situation or the ideal young married situation or the ideal discipling situation. It, most of all, it's about your relationship with God. And, 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 you know, there's take advantage of what you have, but God loves you. God loves your marriage. The God who saved you and brought you into a relationship with him, who worked so hard to get you in a relationship with him, is actually working just as hard in your marriage. You know, you're here because you've been married zero to five years. You found the love of your life. The person you were praying for, God heard those prayers. The person you needed, God gave you. Okay? The person you needed, God gave you. 
Uh, whether you whether you were you, you were converted as a married couple or whether you got married uh, in the kingdom, uh, God has given you exactly who you need to get to heaven. And as you go through challenges, you married as we talk about some things. I think the thing to realize is is God gave you who you needed, maybe not what you wanted, but who you needed for you to make it. And I think it's really important to believe that. Um, Jennifer's going to share a couple of things. Yeah. Just as, as part of the introduction here, again, very happy to be here with you and glad you're here in this class. And congratulations on being one. Congratulations on your marriage. And I've thought about this a lot, that, that marriage and baptism are the two biggest decisions and biggest changes in your entire life. In baptism, you change from death to life. You go from being dead and separated from God to being alive with Christ and with God. That's a huge change, the greatest change we make in our life. In marriage, you go from being a separate person to two separate people to becoming one with your spouse till death do you part. These are both huge and wonderful changes, uh, but both of these change your entire life. And so we pray that this class will really be a blessing to you. Amen. We're going to be sharing just some stuff that we learned from our first five years, but also since it's been a while, we also decided let's talk to our kids who've both been married less than five years. And it was great asking, okay, so what, what would you have a share from the first five years of being married? What do you wish you uh, had learned early on? And then also, uh, almost all the couples we've had on staff with us uh, in Cincinnati have been married less than five years. So we're surrounded by young marriages, And we just basically asked them, what kind of things would be helpful for you? And then we're going to look, obviously, at the Word of God. We want to talk about three things today. One, learning to live as one. Number two, learning to be part of the larger spiritual family. And then number three, learning to be a light to your community. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. You know, this is a passage that gets read at almost every wedding. It's actually not a wedding passage. It's a marriage passage. Because yeah. it's actually really easy when you get married. You're just fired up, right? I mean, there she comes down the aisle and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm marrying an angel and, and he looks the best he's ever looked and probably the best he'll ever look. I mean, he's wearing a tux. I mean, probably never going to wear tux again, but I mean, it's, it's this amazing moment and it's incredible. But this is actually talking about the real deal part of marriage. And he says in verse 29, it says, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, it's interesting that he, that he compares marriage to the church because in the church, a whole bunch of different kind of people come together to become one body. And we talk a lot about the diversity in our church. And, and I think sometimes we, we highlight the racial diversity or the ethnic diversity. And that's powerful. But our diversity is even deeper than that. We're like all different from each other. Most churches in our society are made up of people that are pretty much like each other. 
not just racially, but even socioeconomically, and a lot of times personalities, and there are churches that are geared to the millennials, and churches that are, that are geared more toward uh, you know, uh, uh, families, and churches that are geared more toward, toward older. We, we throw us all together, and then we, we work on it. Well, marriage is a mystery in that two really different people come together. You know, I share with, uh, with brothers when we're doing pre, pre-marriage counseling, I, I, I tried to prepare them. I said, I said there's, there's four things you need to understand about you and your wife. First of all, men and women are different, like really different. Like, like when we were first married, this is to my shame, I'll share this. But you know what? The brother was, was just not doing what he needed to do. I'd say, bro, you just need to suck it up. So I tried that in our marriage. My wife would get emotional, and I'd say, honey, look, you just need to suck it up. <laughs> Worked with the brothers, right? And after two or three times saying that one time, I said, honey, she said, do not say suck it up because that doesn't help me at all. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, now, some of you are laughing because you, you figured that out before you got married. I had, to, I had to figure it out. But men and women are different. And I said, the second thing you have to understand is that you and your wife are very different from each other just as people. It's not that just the difference between men and women, I said, but different as people. I said, the third thing you need to understand is, is your wife is different from all the women. You can read a book on how women are, but that doesn't mean that your wife fits in that. Because every person is unique. And I said, and the last thing, and this is the hardest thing of all, is your wife is different from herself, sometimes on a daily basis. <laughs> because what made her really happy last week doesn't work this week. And I said, so, so I said, you can't ever just go, oh, I got, I got it figured out. That's why we have to rely on God. But it's a mystery to becoming one. It's a mystery making it work, figuring out each other, your relationship, uh, the sexual relationship, pleasing God, dealing with yourself, dealing with your marriage within the church, dealing with extended family. When you add kids in, it, you got to look at it. It's a mystery. It's an adventure. It's like a roller coaster, okay? It's not like one of those little teacups in the kiddie ride. I mean, it's an exciting adventure. And you got to look at it that way that... that even the challenges of going like this is part of the mystery of figuring things out. Right. It's like what we do in the church. Mm-hmm. We have to work hard in the church to stay one. Right. You know, when we first come in, it's funny. We first come to the church, we're like, it's amazing. Everybody's perfect. Then you figure out, no, actually they're not. Right. <laughs> and so all of a sudden you have to work at it. It's the same thing when you get married. Oh, she's perfect. Oh, actually, wow, she's not. And he's definitely not. <laughs> but the first thing you got to do is. You've got to see it as an opportunity to rely on God. Look, we needed God to get saved. We need God to make it work in a church. And we need God in our marriage. If we needed God as a single person, how much more do we need God in our marriage relationship? But sometimes what can happen is we depend less on God after we get married than when we were single. And we start subbing our spouse in for a lot of what God provided. Look, we need God even more now than we needed when we were single. Our, our, our marriage has got to be built, first of all, on each individual's personal relationship with God. Your relationship with God, and then your relationship with your spouse, and then your marriage. And you've got to keep it up. Yeah. It's just because God has answered your prayers and given you your spouse doesn't mean that you stop praying about it. And your spouse cannot be God for you. 
Um, they, they, look, it's, it's too much for a person to do what only God can do. And, and if we're relying on our spouse to be God for us, they will disappoint us yeah. constantly. Because yeah. yeah. they're designed to be your spouse. They, they stink at being God. Right. They're, they're, they're a lousy in that role. Right. Um, you know, there's certain biblical principles. It's interesting. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5, there's a whole section called living as children of light before it talks about marriage. Colossians 3, there's a whole section on rules for holy living before it talks about marriage. And what I realize is, honestly, the biggest thing about us having a good marriage is me dealing with my sinful nature. It's me dealing with my pride, my anger, my impatience, and my selfishness. I, I, I'm an only child, uh, so selfishness just like runs through my veins. I think everybody's capable of making selfish decisions. I have to consciously make selfless decisions. And it's selfishness comes naturally. I don't have to work at it. It's just there. And it was a big deal. I mean, I've had to learn. And I always joke. I said, I have, I have like major sharing issues. Like when we go out to eat. And we order our food. And I get something with french fries. I do not want to share my french fries. And Jennifer will say, can I have some of your french fries? And I'll be like, honey, I'll, I'll buy you your own french fries. But I actually want all of my french fries. And so I know it's, it's, like, it's like a big deal. When I say, would you like some of my french fries? She's like, wow. wow. But selfishness, I, dealing with that, learning to bear with each other. It does say bear with one another. And also says forgive whatever, whatever grievances, not sins. Because sometimes in marriage, it's not like you can't say my, my husband's sending us, my wife's sending us. It's just a grievance. It's just a complaint. Yeah. Put the toilet seat down. That's not a sin, <laughs> sisters. It's a complaint. You've got to forgive that grievance. And those are principles for a Christian. But when you apply them in marriage, they will change your marriage. The most important part of being married is being a Christian. You know, we do, we do marriage retreats, and the, one of the points we always make is just be a Christian in your marriage. Yeah. Treat your husband or treat your wife, at, just, just treat them as a Christian. And you go, well, he's not acting like a Christian. <laughs> well, then treat him the way you would a non-Christian. But be a Christian in your marriage. Go ahead. Amen. Yeah, amen. I think we, we really can't emphasize this enough that... Um, and I think especially for the sisters, I've, I've, I've saw it in myself, I saw it in my kids, I see it a lot. And I don't totally understand why this happens, but it does seem like, that. It, it, certainly it happened with me, that uh, we get married and as Doug said, we don't, we don't consciously, we, we don't purposely or consciously or willfully or intentionally say, oh, now my husband is God. You know, now my husband is my God and he's going to meet all my needs and he's going to take care of me and he's always going to make sure that I'm happy and everything's perfect in my life. And, and I don't, but it happens. I see it over and over and over. And, and when we first got married, it was funny. Like I had a harder time getting up and having my quiet times, you know, and, and that can happen when you get married. All of a sudden you have 
your roommate is sharing your bed with you and and it, it, and you're like oh wow you know I'm not as eager to jump out of bed and get my coffee and and get going on my quiet time but we have to be really careful about that we have to really truly be sure we're relying on God and I knew I was prideful I knew I would get defensive when you know discipled but when we got married wow I made it so hard for Doug to talk to me about anything and it took a while and and I, you know sometimes I'd get all emotional and I'd cry and he was like so baffled because he thought he'd married this like strong Christian you know <laughs> like he thought he married somebody that you know we were on the mission team together and he's like oh wow this awesome sister and now all of a sudden he's got this basket case and it's like <laughs> what happened you know and, and one time he asked me he's like were you like this with your roommates? And I'm like, no, you know, and why are you being mean to me? And, I was just like, and he's just like, what in the world? But I think it's so important that we stay close to God. We always have to stay close to God. Is anyone in this room, did any of you become Christians after you were married? A few of you, okay. So one challenge with that is... Um, you know, God's design for marriage is that the husband is to lead the wife and the wife is to submit to her husband. And in the world, it, it doesn't always go that way. And um, sometimes the wife is very strong and, you know, dominant. And that can be a real adjustment. I mean, even as Christians, we have to obviously always work on that and be careful that we are letting our husband lead. Um, but then, uh, you know, but God's plan is perfect. He designed it that way. We have the Holy Spirit and God will help us live in the roles that he designed us to, um, to live in. Now, if, you know, the rest of you, if you, you were already Christians and then you got married, so you dated his disciples and now you're living with only one roommate. Amen. That's awesome. Um, who is the opposite sex? And that's a huge change huge change now you're having sex with your roommate that's a huge change um, you are figuring out finances together you're sharing a closet you're buying furniture food decorating the house now you have to deal with two sets of parents that can be uh, challenging when you're dating you see each other at church and on your dates and then you go home to roommates and if you've had a bump or you had a little annoying thing happen on your date or something that kind of drove you crazy, you go home, yeah. you process it alone, or you process with your girlfriend, you know, or the sisters, you're talking to your roommate, and uh, yeah, our date wasn't that great tonight, uh, this happened, and uh, he was being like this, uh, and then I was being like this. And, and so you process it, and then by two days later, you're like, oh, I can't wait to see my boyfriend. Oh, he's so amazing. Oh, I can't wait. And you're all excited. But when you're married and you go out on a date and something annoying or frustrating happens and you go home and the person you're annoyed with is your roommate and you don't have somebody else to, you know, let off steam with because that's the person you're frustrated with and so this this was actually an insight that victoria gave me she said you know when we're dating I and mean, i just was so in love with adam and i just did you know it's like okay yes let it slide let it slide you know whatever i just always oh, i just love him so much and i didn't want to make a big deal on anything but then we get married 
And it's like, whoa, these little things that you used to have a few days in between to, and they'd sort of disappear on their own. Uh, you don't have that anymore. And so you've got to stay close to God. And the thing, and you, you need to seriously write a list, put it in the front page of every journal you own of all the wonderful reasons you married that person. Because there are those times when you can't figure out why in the world did I think this brother, this sister was the one for me? What was I thinking? And so you need to, in those great moments, write it down, make a big poster of it. This is why I think they're amazing. And pray to God to remember that. And remember, you are definitely not alone. There are many people to help you. Amen. 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 And, and I think that's that's so important because these are things that if you're not walking closely with God, become major issues in your marriage. Right. And you've got to, you've got to rely on God and process stuff with God. Um, you know, I always say sometimes people think, well, I could I could just like vent out everything I'm feeling to to the to the person and and all that. Yeah. Interesting. We actually have a safe place where we can vent everything. Right. And it doesn't affect the relationship. And that's God. Right. I mean, you can literally say anything to God that you're feeling and he can take it. But sometimes if you come on to the other person, you, you, you can cause some damage there. Right. And it takes time to recover. So, so when you feel like, I've got to vent, vent with the Lord. That's what prayer is. Yeah. I mean, read the Psalms. David, like, majorly is venting with God. Right. Get it all out there. Get your heart right. and It will help your marriage. But if you're not walking closely to God, what happens is you start doing that in the relationship and, and, and you can you can really cause some damage there that it takes time to recover from right but you know we come into marriage we all have we have different backgrounds and sometimes we think well we're you know we're christians and it doesn't matter we, jennifer and i come from like radically different backgrounds yeah. completely different and and it does affect your marriage sure. yeah. some of us bring baggage into our marriage some of it's carry-on. Some of us, we, we got like several suitcases that we're bringing in, right? Um, you know, I, actually, before I was a disciple, um, I had gotten married for a very brief time, and it ended badly in divorce. And so that was kind of there. I had some fears, and, uh, you know, bringing that in. And so, you know, th those things come into marriage, and, yeah, we're Christians, but they're still there. Um, the extended family thing, it's a bigger deal than you think because you marry the whole group. You really do. And, and you might think, oh, you know what? But we hardly see them. But you know what? Whatever goes on with your wife's family affects her. And what affects her affects you. Yeah. And, and, and trust me, you need God to navigate extended family. Yes. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that because of your family. Amen. <laughs> Cut. Uh, edit. Um, right. Whatever. <laughs> but the other thing we want to talk about is learning to be part of the spiritual family. Right. You know, as a Christian... We're part of God's spiritual family. Our marriage is a subset of the spiritual family. Don't ever think in terms of the church and your marriage. Your marriage is actually a subset of the church. When you have children, your, your family is a subset of the spiritual family. They're not different things. And sometimes people say, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to decide, you know, do something with my family or with the church. I'm like, no, you can't. that's wrong thinking. Our marriage is in the context of the church. Our families in the context of the church. You know, Matthew 6, 25 through 34 still applies yeah. 
when we're married. We're still called to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It doesn't change. It's not like, okay, now that I'm married, you know, we've got a marriage and then the, the kingdom. No, the kingdom always comes first. God and his kingdom always have to be number one in our lives. And so our marriage are, is part of that. It's a greater challenge. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he goes, you know what? When you get married, you, you are challenged with divided loyalties. Understand that and embrace it. Okay, it's actually harder to be devoted to God as a married person than as a single person. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't mean it's impossible. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. It's just you got, you got to realize it because it's a lot. You go, you know what? Now I'm married. I actually like, like being at home. There's food in the fridge. I, you know, there, there's toilet paper in the bathroom. I'm talking to the brothers here, right? I mean, sir, the last place I lived before we got married, we were on the mission team in Argentina. And, and, and so we had converted a, a bunch of Argentines. And so we got an apartment, two bedrooms, one bathroom, ten brothers. It was like being in the army. I mean, honestly, you know, I mean, it was like a barracks setup. And I'm like, man, I went from nine roommates to one roommate. We had, a, we had a bathroom and a half. We had, we had more bathroom, the two of us, than we had with ten of us. And I'm like, this is awesome. But the temptation is, oh, it's just nice to be at home. You know, it's just nice. And all of a sudden, we can pull back from our commitment to God and to his kingdom. Look, the thorny soil, I believe, describes marriage and families more than anything else. The cares of this life, or the worries of this life, the, care, the cares for other things, the desires for other things, and... The deceitfulness of wealth. Those things, you know, all of a sudden finances start becoming a bigger issue. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, worries and, and the other things. And we got to recognize, you know what? Those thorns, they grow up. Yeah. And, and one thing I, I, we've learned is just because you cut them down doesn't mean they don't grow back up. Right. And so the rest of our, our married life, we got to be dealing with the fact that those thorns come in to our relationship. But you know, in Ephesians chapter 3. And this is, a, this is a great study. If you ever go through Ephesians and you study out the word mystery, it is used constantly in describing marriage, but also in describing the church. And so he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, he says, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I've already written briefly in reading this then, You'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made, which has not been made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery, as that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. He says the mystery is that Jews and Gentiles are to join now together in one body. In the same way, the mystery is we're joined together in one body, but as part of the church, understand the miracle of our marriage is part of the miracle of the church. Right. The two become one. As young marrieds, you have an opportunity that you did not have as singles. Mm -hmm. You can reach out to and have singles over and married couples over. You know, you ever, you ever share your faith when you're single and you meet a married couple, you're kind of like, oh, what, what, what do I do? And I got to get them to church and hook them up. Now you can reach out to singles and marry. So the people you work with, whether they're married or singles, yeah. you, you can connect with them. You can do that, do that in the church. Yeah. 
I encourage you, have singles into your house. Include them in your life. Don't just like leave them behind. But you have a great opportunity to provide kind of a, you know, a refuge for the singles. Remember, you know, think about what it would be like to be able to be at a married house when you were single. Be that for the singles. Spend time with older married couples in the church. Learn from them. Learn from what they did right. Learn from what they did wrong. Believe it or not, the singles and college students in your church are watching you. They're watching you and they're wondering... What will it look like if and when I get married? Mm -hmm. Will I be more engaged or less engaged? Mm -hmm. will, will I step up in the church or will I step back in the church? Mm -hmm. will, will, I, will I appear in my marriage will we use to strengthen the church or will I disappear into my marriage? Mm -hmm. Will I be an example of resolving conflict or will I be an example of conflict going unresolved? Will I be stronger spiritually as part of a couple right. or will I be weaker spiritually? Right. And in this, it is super important to get discipling. Yes. How many of you got pre-marriage counseling before you got married? All right. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this one. But how many of you have continued to get post-marriage counseling or post-marriage discipling? I really believe at the beginning of your marriage, you should have a weekly time with another married couple to talk about your marriage. Mm -hmm. you, you, just because you said I do doesn't mean you got it all figured out. I mean, we, you know, so we, we're like so invested in pre-marriage counseling. Well, pre-marriage counseling is like easy compared to real marriage. It's like counting the cost of somebody. Hey, you know, will, will, will you give up everything? Absolutely. I mean... I've sat with people in my living room and they're like, I'll die for Jesus. And then two weeks in, they're like, oh, my parents are unhappy. I don't know if I can be part of the church anymore. You know, pre-marriage counseling, oh, yes, 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 yes. And then you get into, it's like, oh, oh, yes, no matter what happens, I'll forgive him. Oh, well, you know, actually, no. I didn't, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean I'd forgive that. You, need, you still need people in your lives. Remember when we first got to Cincinnati and we were, there was a lot we were doing with the church and a brother came up and says, hey, we really need help in, in our marriage. And we wanted, could we get together with you guys maybe a couple times a month? And I said, bro, I said, honestly, right now, I, I don't want to make a commitment to you that we can't fulfill. We're not going to be able to do it. I said, but you know what? Pick another married couple. Mm -hmm. I said, I guarantee you, if you get together with another married couple twice a month yeah. and you're open and honest and talk about what's really going on in your marriage. Yeah. That's 26 marriage times a year. Yeah. I said, I guarantee you within a year, your marriage will be tons better. Yeah. And he did it. Yeah. And after six months, he said, bro, he goes, our marriage is doing so much better because twice a month, we sit down with another couple and we talk about our marriage. Right. And we talk about what's going on. I guarantee you, do that. Your marriage will get better just because you're focused on it. God will bless that. And sometimes, though, what can happen is after we get married, all of a sudden, we're not getting together. Or maybe we're getting together, but we're not talking about our marriage. Discipling really does work. Don't wait for the crises. Don't wait for the big fight. Don't wait for, for the I'm done moment. Do it on a regular basis. You know, I always, I always tell our elders, when a married couple comes to you and, and, and they say, we need help and we need it now. I said, ask them two questions. First of all, how much time have you spent reading the Bible and praying about the things going on in your marriage? And secondly, who you be getting together with on a consistent basis to talk about your marriage? Right. 
Because when people come and it's a crisis, almost invariably the answer to both those questions is hardly at all or not at all. Look, classes, books, workshops, retreats are not a substitute for discipling. Okay? The things we're sharing in this class, honestly, you would do better to get together with a married couple twice a month for six months than than listening to this class. It would do more good in your marriage. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really mean that. And let me add this. Alexa does not know how to build a Christian marriage. And Google has no idea how to build a Christian marriage. Don't Google, you know, marriage help. Okay? Google's not a real person and they're not married. All right? Alexa's not God. And I think sometimes we're like, we're reading stuff, we're going on the internet, and we're, we're, we're doing all, the, all this research on our own. Well, we've got people right in our church. That if you got to go with consistently would really help you out tremendously. Right. I'm so grateful for the people we've had in our marriage all through the years, all the different stages. We were first married when we added in kids when our kids were preteens, then teens, and then they got older and they got married, and now we got a now we got a grandchild. We never been grandparents before. What do I know about being a grandparent? Mm-hmm. So what am I doing? I'm talking to grandparents. Right. I mean, I'm grabbing every grandparent I can just to get input. Because I have a lot of thoughts about what a grandparent could do, but I have no idea. Get disciple. Amen. That's right. Alexa is not God, but she's an awesome sister sitting right there. (laughs) Amen. But uh, yeah, I think this is so true. And as I said in the beginning, the two biggest decisions in our life, you know, baptism, think of all the studies you did before you were baptized. But then all the discipling and the and the getting together with somebody afterwards. It's the same thing in marriage. You know, pre-marriage counseling, you know, all the all the things you learned and were taught and decisions you made before you got married. Same thing. Afterwards you still need uh, discipling, you still need input. And I think that, you know, again, as we've said a number of times, everybody is different. Everybody's situation is different. And God works to the good no matter what it is. As Doug mentioned, our first five years of marriage, we moved a lot. We added two children. We were in five different churches, number of different disciples. But here we are, 30 years later, faithful, happy, you know, it's going fine. Our kids' first five years of marriage was different. Each of them only moved once. And um, one added a dog and one added a kid so far. And, uh, and each have been just in, in two different churches. And it's, it's all good because as Doug said, it's your relationship with God individually and together. And then the people that you get involved in your life. And as Doug said, your marriage is part of the church, part of the family. Um, you know, William and Kristen, when they got married, were in the ministry in Connecticut um, and they used their home when they got married. They had people over all the time. They were leading teens in campus. They had kids over their apartment all the time and were serving in that way. Adam and Victoria, um, as they've been married, I mean, Adam's an amazing musician. They moved to Nashville a year ago. She's in grad school at Vanderbilt. So he's jumped in and serves in the music ministry. Um, Victoria's already done a couple of times in children's ministry. They knew of some couples, some young couples like them who didn't have kids, who weren't really engaged in a Bible talk or didn't really seem to have a lot of close relationships. So they started their own Bible talk of young married couples. 
and they asked a, a couple in the church to disciple them. So I think you need to really decide we want, we need, you will always need discipling in your life. And just pray about it, talk about it, and, and just go ask a couple. Figure out somebody who can disciple you. One of the um, couples that has been helping in our teen ministry and uh, the couple that was discipling them moved. And so they decided over a period of time, I think every other week, they were going to have a different couple over for dinner and kind of in a way interview them. You know, say, hey, we're looking for a new discipler. Our discipler moved. And so just talk about it because in some cases the brother was closer to the other husband and other cases the sister was closer to the other wife. And so they just wanted as a couple to see, hey, who do we gel the best with and who has time to get together with us? Who do we both feel like, you know, will be able to help us in our marriage? And I thought, well, that is, I was so proud of them. I thought, what a great idea that instead of just, oh, what was me, our discipler move, what are we going to do? They were very proactive and took a lot of initiative in Amen. finding that person to get with. Amen. You know, the last thing is to really use your marriage as a light to the community. Right. You know, in, in Ephesians 3, in verse 8, he says, Although I am the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. You know, our marriage is a mystery. It's part of the larger mystery of the church, but it's a mystery to be shared with the community. You know, believe it or not, a Christian marriage is actually a glimpse into God's relationship with the church. That's what he's talking about here in Ephesians. Right. And so you're, the mystery of your marriage is an opportunity to share the mystery of God. It's actually proof and evidence of God. The two very distinct, unique people can become one. You know, a lot of times just sharing about how you came together is, is you're sharing the testimony of the gospel. Right. That's, that's actually a normal question. So how did you guys meet? And just sharing that whole process and yeah. sharing what went on and how it all came together. You're sharing about God in your marriage. Sharing about overcoming your past and your backgrounds is about how God has changed you and as a result changed your marriage. Talking about loving and forgiving and apologizing, which are actually pretty foreign concepts in a lot of marriages. Talk about getting help. You know, for most people in the world, in order to get help in the marriage, they gotta pay somebody. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Seriously, they have to pay. And, and you know, and, and there may be situations where you, you do need some professional counseling, but think about all the help that we get just from people in the church for free. Yeah. Yeah. And it's powerful to just share about that. Say, yeah, yeah, we had a bump and we couldn't get it resolved, but we got together with a couple at our church and they really helped us. People are like, say what? Yeah. You know, believe it or not, as, as you have children, your marriage will help them come to faith in God. Our, we, when our son was 10 years old, Jennifer asked him, you know, uh, to write down a, a, a list of what makes a great dad. The first two things he wrote down were always love your wife and always treat her well. I'm like, how about that? <laughs> the two most important things for him for a dad was how I was with her. And I thought, wow. 
And, and, and our kids were inspired, I believe, in part to become disciples and to have the marriage they have by our marriage. So your marriage will be part of helping your kids become Christians. It's, it's, it's a powerful tool in helping other people become Christians, reaching out to couples. And I think sometimes we can feel like, oh, yeah, but you don't understand. We got, we got issues in our marriage and we're having bumps. We got things to work through. Like, like couples in the world don't have any of those things. But when you share, yeah, this is, yeah, we're dealing with this, that. I mean, it's amazing. And yeah, we had to, we had to learn this and we had to work on this and we had to share. It's funny. Whenever I share about being an only child and, and dealing with selfishness, only, only children in marriages are all like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I, wow. Because nobody talks about stuff like that. It's funny. Even we have, we have neighbors across the street who are, who are Jewish and we've been reaching out for them to them really the whole time we lived there almost, almost five years now. And they're, they're impacted. We become their best friends. They're impacted by marriage. It's funny. They, they love us. They love our marriage. They, they actually love our church. They love our friends. They just haven't made Jesus Lord yet. But, but our, our marriage, we're, we're like the couple they most like to hang out with. And, and, and your marriage doesn't have to be perfect to do that. Um, look, the world, the world is messed up. But, but let me tell you something. Marriages and families in the world are really messed up. I mean, they're, they're like really, really messed up to the point people don't want to get married. We have the individual and collective ability to redefine marriage for our communities. Your marriage is an incredible light. You know, Matthew 5 says, no one lights a lamp and then covers it over. Let your marriage shine. Talk, talk about your marriage. Talk about it, you know, talk about things you're working through and things you're learning and help you're getting and even about bumps you had and how you overcome them. I'm not talking about talking about the way the world talks about where they're trashing their spouse, right. you know, but, but talk about it that way. It will blow people away. And when you talk about the help you're getting, people will light up like, I want help. We need help. Yeah. We want to be part of a group where marriages are helping other marriages. Yeah. Yeah, I think simply, I just really want to encourage you, as Doug said, our marriages are an incredible light in this world. They really are. And make a list, you know, of the coworkers you have, of the neighbors you have, of maybe other family members who maybe live close. Make a list of who you want to have over. And then get out your calendar and figure out all right, what night can we have somebody over for dinner or what night can we go see a movie or go out with, with another couple and get it on the calendar. Just put it, just make it happen. Um, you know, Heather and Jonathan Robinson who lead our young pros now, uh, Heather actually is working this year as a uh, special ed teacher and Jonathan's in the full-time ministry. But Heather has already made several, you know, friendships with people that she works with at school, and they're already going out with them. They're already making an impact as a couple. Um, as I said, my son-in-law, Adam, is an amazing musician, and he has, uh, last night, actually, he was at an open mic night um, playing in Nashville at one, at, uh, at one of the local areas, and uh, he had three coworkers. He works part-time at Apple. He had three coworkers from Apple come out um, to hear him. And so they, you know, they, Victoria's had some married classmates and uh, had them come out to church and had them come to Bible talk. And uh, Brian and Jasmine Barney, they got they were dating before they were baptized, and then um, they got baptized, and then later they married as Christians. And they were in UC when they got ba baptized, 
and then they both are pursuing PhDs at UK, at University of Kentucky. Um, and they are now leading the young pros there in Lexington and doing a great job with young marrieds there. But I think, don't let Satan get anything in your head other than the fact you are a light to the world and you have so much to offer, so much to offer. And just getting together, as Doug said, just getting together with another couple and just sharing your story that alone says so much about the gospel and so much about God and, and so much about the church. Amen. Amen. So now that we found love, what are we going to do with it? Well, we're going to work at being one. And it's work. Yep. It's fun. It's exciting. It's unexpected. Sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's actually really difficult. But we're called to be one. So we're going to work at this mystery. Learning to be an active, engaged part of the spiritual family. Mm -hmm. That we want our marriage to be something that actually helps strengthen and builds the church for God. And then learning to be a light to the community. Yeah. That we actually have something to offer the, the lost world and the lost marriages. A powerful testimony. You know, people may not be looking for a church. They might be looking for Jesus. They might, might not be looking for God. But they're looking for help in their marriage. Yeah. And you can basically say, look... What we've got going on in our marriage and the help we get is because of God and because of God's people. It will draw people in. So I want to encourage you, you know, you're, you're in the beginning stages of your marriage. It's an exciting time. Uh, right now you might be feeling like, man, right, right now we're on the roller coaster ride where we're feeling like it's, it's about ready to go off the rails. But there'll be times like that. There'll be the ups, there'll be the downs, there'll be the, the hard times, there'll be exciting times. We, we've had, you know, we, we've had years where we're like, well, this is a great year. We've had years where we're like, okay, just move on. <laughs> and you'll have that. Just like in your Christian life, right? You, you have that in your Christian life. I mean, I have certain years in my Christian life where I'm like, well, this is a great year. But other years are like, wow, sure glad it's, it's a new year has come. I mean, it's not, you know, there, there, there's some like glorious times and there's some like really bad times. It goes for that. When you add kids to the mix, you'll get that as well. Yeah. That's why it's a mystery. You got to figure it out, right? Amen. The thing about a mystery is you got to figure it out. But the great thing is, as we go through, we've got God's help to do it. So I hope this has been helpful and encouraging you. Again, thank you for coming. We've got a break now until this evening. So enjoy it and have a great afternoon. Thank you.